Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. John, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Srini, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I am, I'm really excited to have you. Uh, you know, I, I came across your story by way of our uh, mutual friend, Matt Monroe, who was a photographer at uh, last year's uh, event, The Instigator Experience, that we had and, and mentioned that he had met you at Mastermind Talks. And he said, you know, you have to talk to John Levy. And so I went and started doing some digging online and it was like, uh, hell yeah, we definitely have to have John on the show. <laughs> so on that note, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background and how that has brought you to, uh, what you're up to in the world today? Sure. Uh, so what I do today is I'm a behavior expert. I consult for companies and help them connect with their customers. Uh, but that kind of sounds bland, uh, until you hear what I created with it, uh, at least most people don't really understand how that applies to anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I take scientific research done by neuroscientists, psychologists, behavioral economists, and I apply that research to help companies push specific metrics. Maybe it's bond with their customers. Maybe it's create evangelical uh, users. Or maybe it's just get people to download more apps. And uh, my areas of specialty are uh, influence and adventure. So what causes people to make the decisions that they make mm-hmm. and how to affect them? And then the other one is what causes people to live fun, exciting, and remarkable lives. Uh, and on the influence front, I was, uh, a, as a social experiment, I wanted to see if I could bring together the most influential people in our culture. Um, and it took me about a year of design uh, to create an event that people would actually show up at. And what I ended up creating was something called the Influencers Dinner. It's a uh, it's a dining experience where I invite 12 people who are all captains of industry and they come to my home and when they arrive, they're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. Mm. And then we cook dinner together and when we sit down to eat, they all get to guess what everybody else does. And then they find out that they're sitting down with a Nobel laureate, an Olympic medalist, a famous actor or actress or Bill Nye the Science Guy or uh, the chief marketing officer of General Electric or a princess and it ends up bonding them and they have a great time and I've done this 54 times so far and we have a community of over 500 people that are absolutely extraordinary and lovely. Mm. Okay, so there's a ton of stuff here but I I actually want to go even before all of this starts. I mean, what actually leads to this career path of a behavioral expert? I mean, what kinds of childhood influences would lead you to such an odd career path? Um, So the experience that I probably point to most often is when I was in eighth grade, my, I went to kind of like a granola uh, school where the 
teachers would test out just kind of fun concepts and see if they worked for the students. And one day, the we were a class of 16 kids. The uh, head of the class, the woman who ran our uh, English program, said, you know what, we're going to throw out the seating chart. And instead, what we're going to do is each student gets to privately submit the names of two people they want to sit down next to and the names of two people they don't want to sit down next to. <laughs> and it was like kind of brilliant to some degree and kind of awful to another. And uh, we all wrote them down. We handed them in. And then she codified them. She said, oh, A wants to sit next to B and C, but not next to D and E. And, you know, G wants to sit next to A and Q or whatever it was. And then she put them all on the board and she gave us a seating chart. And she said, you guys fill it in based on the rules. And if whatever seating chart we end up with that makes the most sense uh, and satisfies the most people, we'll use. And so uh, I grew up dyslexic. Most of my teachers thought that I wasn't very smart. Um, I was the last one to learn to read and to write. And uh, so, but I was really good at puzzles. And so I, I figured it out in like a couple minutes. And then I, I started noticing that there's some patterns. And I noticed that the most popular, there was one kid that was really popular. Everybody wanted to sit down next to him. And that was pretty clearly the most popular boy in the class. And I knew who his best friends were. So I was able to kind of figure out who everybody was. And then I realized that there's like one or two people that nobody wants to sit down next to. Mm -hmm. And as all the letters turned into names, I realized that I was one of the people nobody wanted to sit down next to. And so I was completely brokenhearted. And I said... I have to figure this out. I'm, I might not be good very socially, or I'm not, not be good socially, mm -hmm. but what I kind of lacked in, in uh, social skills, I made up for in, in scientific method. And so I began testing out different ways to try and make friends and connect with the kids in my class. And um, I ended up developing all these models for understanding things. And uh, eventually I... I realized there was this whole thing called research and I came across all these studies and I became obsessed with learning and reading all these studies. And uh, even though reading was really difficult for me, I was constantly uh, trying to get my hands on as many books as possible. And I ended up amassing a huge collection of knowledge uh, in the behavioral sciences. Let me ask you this. Talk to me about the challenges of uh, growing up with dyslexia and how, how you dealt with them. All right. Uh, so it's uh, it was frankly really tough because it, I think it was probably like five or six when I was told that I'm dyslexic. And that, to my teachers, I think it kind of signaled to them that oh, I'm just not intelligent. It's, it was at the time uh, seen as some kind of not just a learning disability, but an actual disability that would prevent me from achieving anything. Um. And so I was in resource room classes. I used to have to hide the fact that I couldn't uh, read in front of the class. I would often, when it was my turn was coming up, I'd go to the bathroom. Or I would have to memorize things ahead of time. So I, was, I have a very strong memory and can still remember a ton of the material that I had in grade school and uh, high school. Uh, because I just didn't have an option to keep going back to the material and reading it. And uh, I think the, that I essentially forgot how difficult it was to learn to read because I was, I'd switch all the letters, like they always talk about D's and B's, and 
uh, I'd switch numbers around. But it, it became most salient when uh, I was reading David and Goliath by Gladwell. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how for people with dyslexia, there's, if you, I guess, look on an active MRI, um, there are areas of the brain that don't activate or there's an area. And, uh, and so essentially to adjust, people with dyslexia have to find workarounds. And most of people with dyslexia don't find those workarounds, but those that do develop skill sets that make them disproportionately successful. Mm-hmm. So you end up with people like Michael Dell and Jeff Bezos and, I mean, the lists and lists of people who are dyslexic who are CEOs of major companies or startups is pretty extensive. But it's kind of if you put them in a tough enough situation and they can get out of it, mm-hmm. then they become disproportionately successful. And when I, I read that, I, I was almost brought to tears because I remembered how hard it was for me. Mm. Um, I'd forgotten the struggles that I had to experience. And my brother's also dyslexic, and so is my dad. And uh, it was really just difficult. I felt like I didn't fit in a lot of the time. And I, I would avoid doing my homework assignments, and I'd avoid um, anything that required being the center of attention. Uh, at the time because I couldn't compete or couldn't keep up with the rest of the class. Ironic considering what you do now. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's it's one of those classic examples of, you know, having to prove to the world something. So, you know, I I, want to actually ask you about something you said there about this idea of, of being disproportionately successful. And the reason this is fresh on my mind is because we just had Justine Musk here to talk about the psychology of visionaries and, you know, effectively what is disproportionate success. And I'm actually really curious from your own perspective, if you think this level of disproportionate success is something that we can cultivate a capacity to reach or do you think it's just built inherently into some people because of the circumstances that life has thrown at them? Uh, so that's a really tough question. Um, we know that to some degree there's a genetic disposition towards things. If you, you're born with an IQ below 60, you, it's unlikely you have the ability to have an imagination. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's, there's certain genotypes and phenoexpressions that we know are going to give people an advantage or a disadvantage. And we also know that depending on the training that you give somebody, they can be extraordinarily more effective, right? So the violinists that come out of schools today versus the ones that came out 200 years ago are, are orders of magnitude better across the board, mm-hmm. which means that there is techniques that you can develop and there is skill training and there is uh, an opportunity to just elevate everybody. So if the question is, can you cultivate disproportionate success? I think the answer is yes. I think that it depends on uh, some level of capacity that people have to begin with mm-hmm. because my capacity to be uncomfortable is probably very different than somebody else's. And my uh, capacity for novelty or fear or excitement is very different than somebody else's. And so for some people, they really 
enjoy or feel best and most satisfied when they're in a position where they're being managed mm. and that they get to experience the guidance and the mentorship within that specific structure. Well, other people really enjoy and are just built for either through the social situations that they grew up in or their pre-existing genetics to be out there on their own doing their own thing and taking a lot more risk. So I, I think that the answer is yes. Hmm. We can develop people to be disproportionately successful. And there might be an entire generation of kids growing up now that are raised to be incredible CEOs the way that we raise children to be incredible athletes. Because the entrepreneurial mindset is now being spread throughout our culture. Mm -hmm. So the conversations around the dinner tables are probably different than they were 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we might be seeing an entire generation of entrepreneurs that are starting off even younger and who have a better skill set and understand what it's like to have a lean startup and understand what it's like to produce a minimal viable product at a younger and younger age. So I actually want to spend the rest of our time talking about this, this whole idea of you, know, you being a behavioral expert, influence and adventure. But I want to ask you one other thing before we do that. Anything you want. Is how you could conceive of a career that probably was never in any guidebook or you know, on any, you know, plan that somebody would have handed to you. Or in my case, you know, I would say it's something that would only arise from a compass, not a map. Yes. Um, that's really interesting. So, uh, I don't know. I was in college. Um, I was a sales rep for a company called Vector Marketing Corporation, Cutco Cutlery, you know, Cutco mm -hmm. Knives. Yep. And, um, I was, I did a really great job. I was, I won some scholarship with them. I made a ton of money uh, being a college senior. And then I moved on to management for them. And I really, it wasn't for me. I, it was, some people really enjoyed it. I didn't like it. And I was trying to figure out what to do with myself. And I participated in a program called the Landmark Forum. It must have been, I don't know, 22, 23 at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you that. You are? Okay. Yeah. So one of the the basic concepts of this program is that you get to create your future that inspires you free from anything that the past imposes on you. That we have this perception of life that we, uh, we've developed. Most of it was created by a confused child that didn't have a fully developed brain. And that perception of the future that we keep moving towards is highly limiting. Uh, but what would it be like if you got rid of all of that and you got to create a future that's built on what inspires you? And I'm so fascinated by people. And I love speaking to them and hearing their stories and understanding what drives them. I'm really fundamentally passionate about that. And I'm not going to say it's an idea I came up with overnight. Mm -hmm. I started off first doing digital strategy. And I had the pleasure of doing that at uh, Rodale, which is the company that owns Men's Health, Women's Health, Runner's World, but like all the ab magazines, right? Um, and sex tips, I'm sorry. They also have sex tips. <laughs> uh, and, and we actually had a, a library sciences team. So I'd be, I ran the, essentially the digital operations for the in-house agency. Uh, so we'd work with outside companies and I'd come up with strategies to help these companies. 
But what I'd do is I would reach out to the library sciences team and I'd say, I need all the research on this uh, group. Maybe it's uh, obesity or how, to, uh, how people actually lose weight. And they'd get all the studies together and then I would use that research to develop a strategy. And I'd combine that with information about uh, how, imp- how habits spread through social networks or how people actually um, uh, store information and remember things. And I'd say, okay, this is what we know about how people actually behave. Here's a strategy that makes the most sense and it's grounded in science. And after doing that for a couple of years, I said, I could do this on my own. And I could do this not just for digital, but across the board. Mm-hmm. And with the kind of success of the influencers dinner and the other experiences that I designed, uh, companies started approaching me. And it was you know, just from that point on. Uh, I got to work on some really fun projects with everything from startups that deliver flowers to uh, luxury hotel brands. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been through the Landmark Forum myself, and one of the questions that actually this raises for me as we're thinking talking about this is how you basically keep your past from coming into your future. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I think that that's a, a great que- uh, question. I would love to give the listeners a little bit of background to make more sense of it. Sure. Uh, so one of the things that Landmark Education explores is what affects who we're being in the present at this very moment. And most people would say it's the past that makes us who we are in the present. And their argument is that it's the future that we believe that we have. Mm. And to prove that, Imagine you are sitting in your office on the coldest day in February, but you have a cab picking you up in 20 minutes to go to paradise for two weeks. You're sitting there in your office really excited and happy, even though you're not in paradise. But your future is exciting. Similarly, if you're two weeks later in paradise and you have to go to your flight back to work, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. So it's the future that you believe that you have that affects who you are in the present. The problem is that all of us put the past and the future. And it sits out there and we keep living into it so that we have no freedom from it. So the question is, how do you uh, prevent your past from being put out there in your future? Uh, Well, I think the answer is that since we're human, it's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. Nothing's permanent. We have to be active and work towards it constantly. we also have to have a future that's big enough that we create and uncomfortable enough, I would say, that uh, it forces us to challenge all those aspects of ourselves or what we know about ourselves that are inconsistent with it. So if, if what I put out there in my future is to earn $10,000 more mm-hmm. and I'm fully committed to that, I can kind of be the same person and still just be a little bit more effective and earn $10,000 more. If I want to quadruple my income in the next year, I'm going to have to reassess everything from what I believe about money and myself to the people I surround myself with. And so part of it is having something big enough out there that you'd be willing to challenge yourself and deal with your own stuff. Mm. Because as humans, we're really great and we're also jerks. 
<laughs> and like I'm a jerk often, right? Like it's I like wake up in the morning and I'm cranky and I don't want to deal with my to do list or the things that I promise people. Like I'm a you know I'm a jerk sometimes, and then sometimes I'm really wonderful and people love me and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's part of it. The second part of it is, and uh, that you really have to curate the people you surround yourself with. It is probably the most important thing you can do. Mm. The fundamental element that defines the quality of your life is the people you surround yourself with and the conversations that you have with them. And if you surround yourself with people who aren't committed to your benefit and you're not committed to theirs, it's going to be really hard to accomplish and grow. Mm. And uh, this is also a really difficult topic for people because you know, I often get asked the question, what do you do if the, your family is, um, is really negative? Or what if your best friend is an alcoholic? Or right, like, do you just abandon these people? What do you do? And the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the answer for everybody in their life. What I can tell you is that just because I was friends with somebody in high school doesn't mean that it's appropriate for me to continue being their friends now. We might have 20 years of history, but I, I want to create something extraordinary while I'm here. Mm. And that means that I'm probably not going to be able to babysit somebody or I'm not going to enable them to have really negative habits and behaviors. And either they're on this journey to improve themselves and create an impact and if they're, they're interested in other things, that's totally fine. I mean, we're not all up to the same game in life. But I'm not going to pretend that I'm not committed to those things and that I don't have goals that are important to me. And so maybe it means that I see them once a year rather than once a week. Hmm. Uh, but I, I literally search out people that I admire. I admire them either because they're really generous and they're a contribution to the world. Like look at Ruth Ann Harnish. Her and her husband have done incredible work across the board uh, and started the Harnish Foundation. That is a human being that I want influencing me. She's extraordinary, and so is her husband. And that's the influence I want on my life. And hopefully I can provide enough value for her that the, that, and have enough of high-quality conversation that it, it makes sense as a friendship. Uh, or someone like Nina Tanden. This woman's incredible. She's an MBA PhD from Columbia, she discovered how to convert cells into bone so that you can transplant people's bones without rejection. Like, that's an extraordinary human being that's obviously committed to doing some real good in the world. And so you have to become an expert at curation. You want to look at the areas that are most important to you and say, who's an expert at that? Who's really respected? And how do I get to connect with them and include them in my life? And then once you have those people, I would say you need to let them know what you're committed to so that they hold you to account. And the more people that know that you're committed to those things, the less likely it is that you'll be able to get away with not doing them. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. Well, let's do this. Let's mm-hmm. shift gears a little bit. 
And let's start specifically talking about how you've taken this background in behavioral expertise, behavioral science, uh, influence, and adventure, and applied it to that year-long process of designing what has now become the Influencer Dinner. I'd love to. So the f- I'll never forget, it was actually in another program that, the, that it all started. I, in the book Think and Grow Rich, they talk about, like, is it mastermind groups or something mm-hmm. like that? Uh, that? And I was like, oh, that sounds brilliant. I need to figure out a way to do this. And so I started off with like, my close friends who were really smart. And so I said, oh, let's all do a call together. The problem with all doing a call together is that uh, calls at that scale don't work. People's schedules are difficult. It's, they tend to have diminishing returns. So the more calls you have with the same people, the less progress and benefit you're getting over time. Mm-hmm. At least that was my experience. For some people, that might be different. And if it works for you, you should keep doing it. I don't want to tell you to change your processes. The, so I said, okay. How am I going to get, let's say, the CEO of some major company, uh, American Express? How am I going to figure out a way that they would actually spend time with me? I was probably, what, 28 at the time? Mm-hmm. And I had to begin by developing a model for understanding how to interact with them differently than I do with my friends. Because the way I interact with people was consistent with the level that I was living my life. But if I wanted to elevate that, I have to understand the people I want to interact with. And so I have to understand what their lives are like. So if you're the CEO of a major corporation, what does your day look like? Well, you're probably waking up incredibly early. You might go to the gym. You have a pile of emails uh, coming to you uh, from around the world because it's probably a global company. Uh, Your assistant may or may not be awake yet. And so you might be taking a look at the emails before they've been sifted through. You have no idea what your schedule is. In fact, you have no idea what city you're in tomorrow or the day after or the day after unless your assistant tells you. Every moment that you're not working, you feel like you should be with your family. So every commitment that you have or take on is, has a level of guilt associated with it. And everything under the sun you've probably experienced to some degree, meaning that you've been to every type of like gala out there. You're constantly invited to speak at every kind of talk. Everybody wants your expertise and attention. So what happens is that, that they're completely oversubscribed. Everybody wants access to them. And the people who are approaching them don't get that. Mm-hmm. So how do you pierce that? What do you actually do to get through all of that? And so the first thing I realized is that I need to get them out of their comfort zone. If everything is predictable to them, then what was the last time they didn't know what was going to happen next? It may have been in like high school or college or grad school where they didn't necessarily have the answer or didn't have access to somebody who had the answer. So... I took them out of their element. They weren't now I'm designing an event where they're not allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. Now they don't know who they're interacting with. I've had these really funny experiences where uh, one of the guests, two of the guests were making guacamole uh, because they cooked it together. And uh, one of them is a, 
a, a fine gentleman was uh, asking a lovely lady who was there about her college experience and she said oh I played division three basketball and he keeps asking her all these questions and she's kind of getting into it and it's like yeah it was great you know I was really good actually and tells the whole story and then the guessing portion of the evening comes we're all sitting around the table and they're sitting next to each other and uh, she guesses what he does she says oh you're an executive and or something along those lines and he says well I'm an executive now but uh, for years, I was a professional NBA basketball player. Uh, my name is Isaiah Thomas, and I'm in the uh, NBA Hall of Fame. I'm considered one of the top 50 players of all time. And the woman just sinks in her seat and was like, I can't believe I was bragging about my Division Three <laughs> basketball <laughs> career to Isaiah Thomas. And like she turned bright red and sank in her seat and hid behind her napkin. But that's because it's in the design of the experience. I got them out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so it gets them curious. And these are competitive people. Another thing that I did was I realized that it's not just about getting them outside their comfort zone. I have to provide them with something unexpected. So every day they know basically what's going to happen. They have a rundown. Either the company's going to do better or not or whatever it is, right? They'll get the contract or they won't. But it's not like they'll wake up one day and there'll be a kangaroo in their office. Or, you know, they'll all of a sudden be pulled on stage on a Broadway show and expected to sing. But in the design of the experience that I created, I'm the one in control and they don't know what's going to happen until five minutes before. And so it puts them in this state of wonder where they kind of have to be on their toes, where they get to play a little and have some fun with it. And they don't have to worry for the first time. Everything's been taken care of. So that's a couple of the things. There's a lot more elements designed into it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we could probably talk for hours on it or about it. But there's just about every five to ten minutes of the experience there's a specific intention that I need to hit a cue on. Hmm. And maybe it's that I need to get two specific people to bond uh, or I need to get um, uh, a certain level of intimacy being developed right before the end because we do this, uh, we have a conversation about what it is that we're committed to right at the end before the dinner's over. Hmm. That that catalyzes the connections that are formed. But I fundamentally wanted each and every one of them to walk out and feel like they're with somebody they went to camp with. It's like that camp best friend. Mm -hmm. Like they have this experience that nobody can take away from them. And if they meet years down the line, they'll go, oh my God, how's my guac partner? And that'll always be there. And I think it's been working. I, I get the occasional message from people being like, oh, guess who I was hanging out with in L.A. Or, oh, I started a business with so-and-so. And it's just wonderful to hear. Hmm. So <clears throat> one question, and then, and then I want to dig deeper into this. How do you even get them to agree in the first place, especially somebody this influential like an Isaiah Thomas? Like, did you build with a smaller group of people or a lesser known group of people? Like if somebody, uh, would want to re if somebody would want to replicate this process, and obviously I'm asking that for very selfish reasons. Yes. Uh, so the answer is that if you want to re replicate something like this, 
this is like the influencer's dinner is my intellectual property. It, it sure. lives and breathes with my spirit. Uh -huh. And the first thing I always tell people is create something that's consistent with you and your values. Uh -huh. Dinner works for me and the design works for me because I live my life in this state of like wonder and adventure where things are like playful and exciting and, and wondrous where there's always another surprise. But that, if that's not your skill set, just don't like it's, it, and you shouldn't, you should have your thing. Right. Um, so actually here, let's, I'll help you create your own thing. What's something you're passionate about? Surfing. Wonderful. And how often do you do this? A couple times a week, at least maybe three or four, depending on what I the waves are like. Incredibly impressed. So what if you wanted to create a celebrity surf camp? Okay. So you have, you invite the most influential people you know, maybe it's from a specific industry. Like I have a friend, Daniel, who does a entertainment executives brunch and they mm -hmm. always have dim sum and it's invite only and you have to be an executive and that's his thing. And it's become known in the entertainment world that Daniel does this dim sum brunch. And it's like, if you've been invited, then you've reached a certain level in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And so he gets to network with all the top executives and he uh, produced a ton of uh, scripted and unscripted television over the years. So it serves him from a business perspective because he gets really strong connections with the executives who actually do the purchasing and decision making. But beyond that, he gets to bond the industry. And so he becomes a pinnacle or a, 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 let's say a bike spoke, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in your case, I started off with friends of mine who were very impressive, who didn't know each other and who um, I had access to. So you, let's say you have, I don't know, maybe the idea is each, you pick four people who you, uh, that are really influential and important. Maybe they're the same industry, maybe they're not, whatever it is. And then you pick, you tell them that they could bring, I don't know, their kid or something along those lines, or their significant other. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you make it a potluck, so all of them have to bring some kind of food, so that once you guys are done surfing, you guys have a picnic together. Right. And you lead a surf school once a week for five people who are all super impressive. And then at the end of it, you go, listen, who are the three or four most impressive people you know? And they give you a list, and they go, great. I'm going to invite them to participate in my surf school. And then you learn to structure it and iterate it and iterate it and change it to slightly each time. Hmm. So I, um, well, my first dinner was completely different. I mean, it was in a duplex apartment in Chelsea. The air conditioner was broken and like we were sweating. It was summer. It was like, if you look at the photos, you're like, why did these people participate in it? <laughs> Like it was embarrassing. People were sweating into their plates. Like, but you know, it started somewhere. I started small, and uh -huh. then I it took me I think six months to do the next dinner. I kept changing just small things. It took me, it took me ten dinners to figure out the meal that we made, huh. because we I'd keep testing out different meals until I finally figured out one that works for people who are vegan and kosher and like all these other crazy requirements. And that's the problem with food. <laughs> Food's also expensive. Like you could do your surf school for free if everybody has to bring food. Uh -huh. But then I, um, then what happened? The next big jump was when I got, oh, I, I would shamelessly promote it. 
right? So like everywhere I'd go, I'd talk about this thing I do. And I'd, I'd got, get this huge list of people that I could invite. And uh, I started getting a few like well-known actors and actresses and media people. Mm-hmm. And uh, people thought, oh my God, this is so cool. Do you know who? And they'd start recommending. And eventually uh, somebody from Forbes uh, wanted to do an article. And I was like, no, I, this is like a really private thing. I don't want it. And he bugged me for eight months. And then I finally agreed. And it was, uh, who was there? Andre Royo from The Wire. He played Bubbles. And there were like a bunch of other really impressive folk. And he did an article. And the article just went crazy. It was viewed something like 40,000 times. I started getting approached by all these people. And then the New York Times did an article. And it just, at that point, we were on the cover of the style section. And at that point, I could walk up to people and I'd say, oh, I'm the founder of the Influencers Dinner. And they'd go, wait, I've heard of this thing. And then I'd describe it. And about half the time they had heard of it, half the time they just heard the word influencers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I just spoke to one of the co-anchors of 2020 last night. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know this thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Then I spoke to like the CEO of Xerox. And she's like, oh, that sounds amazing. Email me. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Wow. Uh, so. Um, so the, I think the answer is find something and just do it and then iterate and iterate and iterate and change it slightly each time. But it has to be something that you're passionate about because I'm going to tell you by dinner 54, if I didn't love people as much as I do, Uh it's a lot of effort and it's really expensive. The other thing is realize you don't have to do it forever. You Mm -hmm. can set a limit, say, okay, I'm going to try six of these. If I like these six that I did and I feel like I'm learning something from it, I'll do another six. Otherwise, I'm going to drop the project. But I am all for people finding more ways to connect with each other, Hmm. especially ways that are offline. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that the more that we bridge that gap, the better things get, Uh, which is funny because uh, I'm going to see you in New York in person, which is is cool. And uh, funny you mentioned the surf thing because we just literally put out a landing page for something called Unmistakable Adventures, which is a surf and yoga mix uh, retreat based event that I'm co- co-planning and co-hosting with Justine Musk. That's amazing. Brilliant. And <laughs> congratulations. Thanks. Um, uh, do you, here, let's do this if you're yeah. interested. Let's see how we can pop up. The, I mean, if you want to. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we have time, but let's discuss. Why don't you? both tell the listeners and myself a little bit about it. And let's see, maybe I could shoot some ideas on how to increase the novelty or the experience. Well, you know, it's funny. It, uh, it actually came about very organically. One of the things we'd been talking about for years is me being an avid surfer and trying to figure out how do we mix surfing and business together in some way. And we thought, okay, well, what do I know a lot about that would be useful to somebody else who may not necessarily be a surfer? I said, okay, well, I know quite a bit about writing considering I'm publishing books and who else do I know that knows a lot about writing? And Matt Monroe, our mutual friend who introduced us said, you should co-host it with Justine Musk. So I sent Justine a note and I said, Hey, would you have any interest in co-hosting a retreat based event? That's a bit smaller, more intimate uh, than a conference. And we would mix surfing together in it. And she said, I don't know if my people will surf, but she said, they'll certainly do yoga. And I thought, okay, well, that's simple. We'll just add that to the mix too, because those things kind of go hand in hand. And that's literally how it came about. I mean, we don't know what it's going to be yet. We, so we thought, okay, what's the next step? Let's put up a landing page, call it unmistakableadventures.com and see if people sign up and then we'll go from there. And that's where we're at right now. That's wonderful. Uh, so... 
this is probably going to be a longer conversation than I think we have time for uh, <laughs> this time. But in September, my manuscript is due for the 2 a.m. principle, which is a book about the science of adventure. Mm-hmm. So I spent years looking at what causes people to live fun, exciting, and remarkable lives. And uh, I discovered that every adventurous experience follows a predictable four-stage process. And each stage has specific characteristics, so when you apply them, life becomes exciting. Hmm. And, uh, and by the way, if anybody wants to check it out, 2ampprinciple.com should be up in the next few days, and you can sign up to get fun tips and tricks on how to make life crazier and more exciting. And you'll hear stories about how I almost died in Pamplona when a bull hit me and uh, how I ate, climbed the ghost tower of Bangkok and all the crazy stuff, even dropped myself off in Nice once, having no way out, not knowing anyone, not speaking the language, uh, which is, it's in France. Uh, and the deal was either I was going to be able to find a stranger to put me up for the night or I was going to sleep on the street. Mm. And so I run these crazy experiments on myself uh, and travel around the world doing it. Um, and those are kind of the lessons to make people's lives more fun. So do we have time to go through that four stage process? Um, I think that it's, it's a a very different conversation. And if you'd be willing to have me come back sometime, I'd, yeah, I'd be more than happy to, we'll bring you back when the book comes out. You're going to end up with so many questions and there's going to be all these crazy (laughs) stories that I'm going to tell you. Uh And, uh, I, I think it's, Influence is a fascinating conversation. Adventure is really fun. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it's also painful and emotionally draining and a whole slew of other things. But uh, yeah, if it's okay, let's save it for another time. Fair enough. So let's talk about this idea of designing experience mm-hmm. and um, constantly delivering something expected because you're very much speaking my language. I mean, I think about this in everything that we do. Uh, you know, I think I'd sent you our latest writing project, The Compass. A big part of that was, this is not an ebook. How do we design an experience? And that's what we even told our designer, Lauren Rains. I said, I don't want to just put out a book. I want to create a digital experience. So what I'd love to talk about really is taking this idea of influence and designing experiences and translating them into whatever our art or whatever our work might be or, or you know, applying it to whatever our work or whatever our art might be, if that makes any sense. Yes. So my curiosity when I begin designing anything is what is the person leaving saying? what is the impression that I want them to have? What is the, what do I want them to say about it? Or what do I want their next action to be at the end? And I have to work my way backwards from there. So if I want them to, I don't know, feel excitement, then what catalyzes excitement? Or if I want them to feel safe, do I leverage nostalgia? Do I, if it's an event, do I give them warm cookies at the end? So they feel like they're children again? How do I draw on human emotion? How do I draw on pre-existing models and associations that they've stored? So all these things are options. There's incredible research on the misattribution of arousal. And when I say arousal, I don't mean sexual arousal, Mm. or maybe that too. But I mean, you're in an aroused state. There's more adrenaline in your system or dopamine or your heart rate is uh, faster. So in that state, what is now available that was previously not an option? Or what can I associate to it so that you're confusing the experience of excitement or not so much confusing, but merging the feeling of excitement from one thing with another. 
And so I can take research like that, or I can take research on, um, there's this uh, concept of, have you ever heard of Drunk Tank Pink? Mm. It's a title of a book, but uh, the first story in it talks about how um, if, if you stare at the color pink for a certain length of time, you'll physically lose your strength. And so drunk tanks were colored pink for a while to calm people down. And so there's all these really interesting characteristics of our biology and our neuroscience that we can leverage to accomplish specific uh, objectives. Uh, For example, why are pictures on menus uh, of the foods that they, how do they choose the foods that are pictured in menus? Do you know? No, I don't actually. Uh, Well, when you have a high cognitive load or your low blood sugar, then you default on making selections, right? You just want what's convenient. And we've all been there. We walk into a diner and we're just hungry. We see a picture and we're like, let's take that. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to put on the menu where the images are? The items that have the highest revenue, the best margins. Because if you're going to pick something random, we might as well make a lot of money off of it. So we can path or push or nudge people towards a decision. Was there anything immoral about using that photo versus another one? No. You had free will to make any decision that you wanted. Mm -hmm. But we can hint towards certain things and it increases sales. Now, if my objective at the end was to have you eat healthier, then at the cafeteria, I would make sure that all the foods that are at eye level are the healthy foods. And you'd be more likely to eat those. Or I'd create or place certain signage in key areas to make you question things. Or I would somehow ease your cognitive load right before you entered the food court so that way you have more willpower to resist the bad foods. But we have to begin with the end in mind. We have to look at what is it that we're actually trying to accomplish and how can we do it in a moral and ethical way. Mm-hmm. Because there's suggestive evidence that you can hook kids on products before they're even born by using odor and taste. So if a mother eats a lot of garlic during pregnancy, then the, uh, their child would prefer milk with some garlic in it versus standard milk. And they've done research on this, and it's, or there's specific researchers have done work on this and have found this to be true. So I guess the question is, what do you want to do? What would you like to accomplish? And then let's work back from there. It's interesting because, again, I think it's it's one of those questions that doesn't have some sort of just concrete answer. This is how you do this. It's one that you almost have to follow your curiosity on. Mm-hmm. It's, there isn't a – I mean we could develop a model for it, right? Mm-hmm. And I could explain how I – the stages I go through and my processes. But there's something about not pigeonholing every client because I first have to – understand what the objectives are. Then I need to understand what the audience is. What I would create for somebody who's 50 years old and lives in North America is different than what I'd create for somebody who's 25 and lives in Japan. The cultures are very different. Um, There's a different relationship between introverts and extroverts. There are different values. Mm -hmm. And unless you're respectful of that, you'll end up alienating people. Now, the 
basic biochemistry is the same, but the social expectations are different. So you have to play into that. If I do an event in India or if I do an event in Sydney, the cultures are so different that you maybe shouldn't do the same event. Mm -hmm. So I wish there was a, a straightforward answer. But if you, I mean, if somebody has a question, they're welcome to reach out. Mm. My email address is just, you can, there's a form on my website, johnlevytlb.com or uh, 2ampprinciple.com. Cool. Well, John, this has been really, really fascinating. Uh, so I'm going to wrap with my final question, which is how we close all our interviews here. Cool. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Wow. Um, what is something that makes somebody unmistakable? Can I have like 10 seconds on this one? Yeah. I'm going to give a thoughtful answer. And I'm assuming the person who's editing this can uh, edit stuff out. So when you say unmistakable, you mean one person versus another? Like I'm not going to... However you want to interpret it. Or is it an individual who doesn't make mistakes? No, definitely not that. Okay. Because I don't know any of those. Um So, okay. All right. So I think what makes somebody unmistakable is in who they're being and the expression of that in the world. So you look at the, the great names that everybody always points to, either they're political leaders like uh, JFK or uh, Mahatma Gandhi or you look at industry leaders like Bezos and Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs. There's something about the way they express themselves, their ideals and their commitments that are so based in who they are. And it's so clear. Uh, that nobody can deny it. Now, you might not like it. You might not agree with it. You, in fact, may hate it. But who they're being as a human being is unmistakable. And it, to some degree, is an ephemeral quality because in our culture, we're not used to talking about being. We're used to talking about if I do something... I can have something mm -hmm. rather than if I'm being a loving person or a committed person to our society, then I'll take these actions and I'll have these results. But I think the, the people who are unmistakable are those who take a stand for something. It might even just be themselves. It might be our society. It might be for creating something extraordinary. And that is expressed in every fiber of their being and not necessarily that they're absolutely confident and steadfast all this time, but that they're willing to put their doubts aside for the purpose of what they're committed to. I think that that's what would make somebody unmistakable. Awesome. 
Well, John, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share your story and your journey and your insights with our listeners. That was my pleasure. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, feel free to tweet at me. I'm at John Levy TLB, J-O-N-L-E-V-Y. T as in Thomas, L as in Lion, B as in Boy. I'm also that on Instagram and Facebook. And so feel free to reach out. I try to respond to every message I get, uh, although things are a little crazy right now because of uh, all the writing I have to do. So I'm sorry if the response doesn't come right away. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.